So why does the radio industry leader do this sort of things? I mean, who thought this was a good idea? How could anybody think it was a good idea? <laughs> Keith, as an L.A. guy, you'll know that there is an empty seat at the Laker games, and that's kind of a sad, a sad ending to a fabulous life. There's no sale at Saga yet, but in a change of opinion, I think it's going to happen. Maybe. Wow. Wow. <laughs> how's, Jackson how's going on a limb. Okay. Well, good morning. We're back with another edition of Media Insultant. Our opinions, comments, and uh, miscellaneous falderall. In Seattle, I'm Jackson Weaver. And in Southern California, my co-host, Mr. Keith Samuels. Keith, good morning. Glad you got a little rain and a little snow. You guys needed the moisture. So oh, was, glad it, you're getting wet. Uh, well, yes, it was a wet weekend in L.A. And uh, uh, and, and now we're just, we're just shivering. I mean, it's going to be a high of like 60 today. Oh, God. I mean, it's just, I got to get out my parka to survive this week. <laughs> well, we're going to do this uh, episode of Media Insultant without commercial interruption. And we do welcome you to the Tuesday, December 12th episode of Media Insultant. Hey, I hope you got your dose of auto research last week, Keith. Having the great Ed Steenman on. He's our auto guy, our auto guru, our auto dude. And uh, he talked a lot about the uh, automobile advertising business and what it's going to look like for next year. So if people missed it, we'd sure encourage you to go back and, and take a listen. Some really good stuff. Just because there's been more inventory and special pricing doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see a lot of revenue in radio and TV uh, for the next year. So go back and watch it if you missed it already. And, and our thanks to Ed Steenman for for what he did with uh, with us uh, on Media Insultant. Yeah, Ed's great, a great guest. And and by the way, you listen to the, or watch that episode, and you'll know more about what automotive is going to be doing in 2023 than your sales manager. Now, you, I know your sales manager thinks that he or she is like the smartest person on earth as it relates to the nature of your clients' businesses. But this gives you a chance to get smarter than your boss. So get smarter than the folks you work for and watch that episode with Ed. It was terrific. It was. It was. And by the way, the episode with Jeff Smullyan was the most listened to and watched episode in the history of Media Insultant. So thank you, Jeff, and make sure you get this book for all your Christmas uh, reps. There you go. Christmas gifts for reps. There we go. Well, as we move on, you know, everybody is taking a knee for the legendary radio executive Norm Paddits. Yeah. And Norm started Westwood One. He started Podcast One. Uh, he died last week. Um, and apparently, Norm has had a courtside seat for the Laker games for decades. And that seat is going to remain vacant for a while. So uh, he started Westwood One after he, interestingly, he just worked for a few years as a an account exec at KCOP-TV in L.A. Then he started Westwood One, and he grew it into what became the largest radio network in the country with all kinds of content. He bought Mutual. Remember Mutual? Yep. He bought NBC. Even, even we remember NBC. And ultimately, Westwood One, of course, became part of what is now Cumulus. No cause of death was announced but our sympathies and our thanks to Norm for his vibrancy in the business. Well, yeah, Norm was a was a legend in the business. Obviously, basically recreating network radio for non AM stations. I mean, he was really the first guy that syndicated music formats, uh, music specials, concerts. 
was a tremendous force in the uh, in in the late seventies and eighties and nineties. Sold Westwood One for a fortune. That's why you could that's why you could afford those courtside seats at the Laker games. Also, you know, he, he, as you know, he made Adam Carolla a podcast star, uh, but. Norm also uh, married well, and he married a legendary female uh, radio personality here in L.A., Mary the Burner Turner, and she was the queen of rock radio back back when uh, even I was selling time in L.A. in the 70s uh, at KMET, the Mighty Met. Uh, so they were uh, just an amazing radio couple for sure. So uh, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's a sad time for Mary and the family. Uh, his memory lives on, and he touched a lot of people and, and really influenced the business in a significant way. Yeah, he did. And, and you know, we have this whole generation, frankly, of broadcast pioneers who, who are uh, leaving this earthly coil. Sadly, but they are. So anyway, our, our sympathies for Norm and his family. Uh, to move on to something else that's uh, changing, we saw this coming, but then so did everyone else in the radio business when Saga Communications got an unsolicited offer. And who was it from, Keith? Not the Wizard of Westport. Jeff Warshaw? No. I know. Well, since Ed Christian, who was the CEO of Saga, died, the radio industry seems, in my opinion, want, seems to want Saga to be in play, Keith. And the, really, if you think about it, there's no reason for it. The business uh, is is doing just fine. They don't have any debt. They spin off dividends. It's well run. But there is a lot of speculation that it would be for sale. And sure enough, last week, Jeff Warshaw and his Connoisseur Communications made the offer. And it's really a pretty r- remarkable offer. It was about $200 million. Wow. Okay. And you got to give Warshaw credit for swinging for the fences on this one. But... And the first offer uh, with the company is always rejected. Nobody ever says, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, but he, but he made two offers at the same time, didn't he? Well, he did. They just were they were the same offer. They just were constructed differently. Gotcha. Okay. One, one was sort of a merger. One, the other was an, an all-cash offer. But, um, you know, the thing is, is that, is that this gives Saga a great opportunity to market the company without marketing the company. You know, because, you know, Jeff comes along and says, I'll give you $200 million for it. Well, you never know who else is out there thinking about it. And this kind of kicks them out of the weeds. So, but, you know, our point of view on this, certainly as we talked about it over the last couple of weeks, is that Saga wasn't, didn't have any pain. So why should we sell? Why would they sell it? If no debt, they spend dividends, business is okay. They've got good markets. And I kind of started thinking about it again over the weekend. <laughs> That's dangerous. I, I, yes, it was. And I think I think I'm wrong. I think I was off base. So before we jump the gun here, I, I don't want to. I want to take a look at who actually owns Saga today. You know, Ed Christian, when he had it, had a majority of the voting shares because he had super voting shares. Okay, and so he could control the company. Nobody else could control the company. But when he died, the super voting shares reverted to normal shares, standard shares, and that super voting benefit that he had went away. So this morning, stock is up to almost $30, and uh, that's way up from where it was even two weeks ago when it was in the low 20s. So maybe this sale is, is really going to happen. Um, and here's why, why I think it could happen. Institutions hold 42% of the stock 
Hedge funds hold another 24%. So financial institutions own a total of 66% of the stock in the company, Keith. And that means that they're the ones who are in the driver's seat. You know, the top four shareholders control 50% of the stock. And these are the investors who are going to call the shots. It's not going to be the board of directors very much. So take, take a look at that. Now, why would, if you were an investor in Saga and you had a big hunk of money in Saga, why would you want to sell it? What's your thought? I want to get my money out now while there's still some value on the table for a radio company. And there are, and there are very few radio companies that have value on the street these days. So what, this is like, wait a minute, guys, this business isn't going to get any better. Why don't we just, let's just, let's just sell out at the, at really, which is kind of a peak for Saga. It's the, well, not really, because they haven't been able to buy it, but now, uh, or, or sell it, now they can. So let's get out. Let's, let's, yeah. and get done with it, because it's not going to get any better. The, as you say, the revenues are going to be flat at best, and the expenses are going to go up. And it's just going to be a tough slog. So, so I'm I'm kind of coming down on your side. The radio business, the trades are saying, "Oh, isn't that silly? Saga would never sell. Don't, oh, they'll never sell. It's you know the legend of Ed Christian and all this stuff." And they're and and no, it's not that anymore. And they seem to think they can continue to run this company like Ed did. And I think there's a bunch of people going on the other side saying, "No, oh, maybe not. Maybe it won't be great after Ed's gone." Let's just bail on this sucker. Let's get these things sold off and move on. Yeah, it was never in play before because of Ed's control of the stock. And now the investors look at it. And the truth is, Keith, as you and I were talking earlier, they don't give a shit about the radio business. These investors don't give a shit about the local communities that Saga is so invested in. These people don't give a shit about the Ed's, Ed Christian's legacy they just want to get their money out, and I agree. I think right now they stand the best chance of getting it out, and it is such a rich deal. I still don't can't figure out how Warshaw thinks he's going to pay for this because basically he's offering about a 13 times cash flow price for it. And, and he has the financing lined up, apparently. So uh, apparently, and, you know, Unlike <laughs> the Cumulus deal where it was a mystery a few months back, this is not a mystery. He's got, he's got, he's got signed letters of finance from you know the, his... Well, including from Goldman. Exactly. Goldman Sachs is one of them. Yeah, how do you turn this down? Yeah, I don't. that's the thing. I guess Warshaw and his bankers may see something we don't, and I don't know what it is. I mean, the traditional thing would be you do what iHeart or Odyssey does. You you know, you cut, you consolidate management, you, uh, re, you know, you reduce staff, you know, you do everything to get the cash flow up. But, you know, I, I still don't see it, it making a whole heck of a, a lot of sense. However, there is one thing. And uh, then we'll move on. Um, we do want to thank Jeff Warshaw for adding some buzz to the dead radio <laughs> M&A market, don't you think? What, what would we snark about if there wasn't Jeff, you know, lurking in the uh, the weeds to try to pick up one of these radio companies? It'd be real interesting. Yeah. It'd be real interesting. Hope we, But I do think it's going to be sold and probably be in the second quarter of next year. Okay. Oh, ooh, ooh. That's a, that's a big prediction, Jackson. Yeah, well, we're going to do a prediction uh, episode of Media Insultant <laughs> on the 27th, and that will be included in those. So okay. that's a little sneak sneak peek for anybody who cares. Keith, I, you know, I look at this situation that um, iHeart and Google got into and got uh, slapped really very firmly by the FTC for misrepresentation. Do you want to give us a little background on this? How did this How did this come about? What 
what did what did iHeart do? Well, apparently, what iHeart did is that they they did a uh, they they made a big sale with Google when Google was coming out with their new uh, Google Phone back in 2019, and this sale involved lots and lots of radio personality endorsement commercials where the the personalities would talk and rave about how great this phone is. And, you know, you and I have done endorsement deals like this all our careers. You know, it was that's just part of how great radio is. You you you, right, you know right. the, the on air personality endorses the product, you know, eats at the restaurant, drives the car, drives the Chevy truck, in this case uses the phone. And they ran these commercials, what, in uh, 10, 12, 15 different markets, major markets around the country, major personalities around the country. But there was a little bit of a hitch. And the hitch was, and I don't know how the FTC learned about this, yeah, yeah. how this came about, but the prob- there was a little bit of a problem because Google didn't get the phones to the personalities. So the personalities were making it up. The phones weren't available. They weren't available the phones for phones weren't sale. even available. Yeah, you, yeah, they didn't have the phones to give to the personalities, but the campaign was committed to, and it ran. And ran. Yeah. And ran. And so what happened? They got nailed. They got nailed. They got nailed. The, the, the FTC nailed them for $9.5 million. The bulk of it was paid for by Google. But... You know the the it, it's just really fascinating to me. iHeart's talent was proclaiming how much they loved their new Google phones, yep. phones they knew they didn't have, phones they probably knew nobody else could buy. And the FTC complaint was clear. It said, "quote Google and iHeart paid influencers to promote products they never used, showing a blatant disrespect for truth and advertising rules," which you know is really true. Just kind of a couple of quick takeaways on this. Uh, David Oxenford, uh, who's uh, legal counsel, everybody knows at uh, Wilkinson et al., wrote a really nice column on this entire debacle. And, uh, and I thought it was way too wordy. It was uh, <laughs> half a dozen paragraphs. It could have been one sentence. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do it. Just don't do it until you have the phones. So well, but there's a there's a, but Keith, there's an easy workaround. You just say, hey. As the influencer or the disc jockey or whatever you want to call them, you just say, hey, we are so excited about this new Google phone that's coming out soon. No, no. no. Here's what you do. You don't run the campaign. You tell the agency who negotiated the deal, and they tell Google, unless there's phones, we're not doing the deal. Well, that's another We're not idea, running the I... schedule, guys. Come on. How can we do this? And, th- and there was dialogue between a sales rep at iHeart and Google saying, Get us the phones. Where are the phones? Can we have the phones? And they said, no, you can't. And so so the salesperson was kind of trying to help it out and doing the right thing. But somebody was also saying above that person, run the campaign anyway. Run it anyway. And then, and then if I'm a personality in, at one of these radio stations in major markets, I, I'm going, I'm not doing this spot for a product I don't have. So no, I'm not doing it. So I, I, you know, I, I keep thinking about: was there so much pressure to run this two point four million dollar ad deal that that they just sacrificed every, or they broke every rule in the business to do it? Is it really that worth? They couldn't wait a couple of weeks. They couldn't wait a month. Apparently not. So guess what? They get spanked. Google pays nine million dollars, and and iHeart pays four hundred grand. 
and they still did a $2.4 million deal, they're still ahead by $2 million. Yeah, they are. They so are. iHeart's like, whatever. But but where was the grown-up in the room? Who had the cojones to say, we're not running the schedule, guys, until we get the phones? It just, it just violates everything you and I ever experienced and learned in radio sales. And, and yet they did it anyway. And I'm thinking, you know what? What? Come on. Really? You had to do even. that deal so badly that you couldn't do this? And then they forced other companies to run the spots too. So it wasn't just iHeart. There were other companies that ran these spots. They didn't get fined. But which tells me is that iHeart did the deal. And then iHeart made the buy on other stations in, in the same markets owned by other groups. Uh, whether it was through Cats or was it, whether it was through their Connections group. But it all comes back to iHeart. And I'm going, guys, what were you thinking? Why would you ever do well, that? Well, okay. Okay, yeah. But but I, I'm sympathetic <laughs> of the fact that we that we all need billing. and But there there is a way they could have gotten around it. You and I will disagree on this, and that's okay. But uh, there was such an easy workaround because it could have been a tease campaign instead of a we've got the campaign. That would have been the easiest, and then we would have had no problem. It's like Jeff Smullyan said when he was talking about his 11 critical rules of running MS communication, his number one. Number one thing was, if you don't have your integrity, you don't have anything. And I think iHeart, you know, it really squandered some integrity on this. It's sleazy at best, and I'm telling you, it was not a good look, Keith. Not a good look at all. All right, Keith, coming up on Friday the 16th, we have another eagerly anticipated Tony Bolin holiday poem. And he knocks it out of the park this year. He does. It's, it's uh, one for the ages. It's the 30th anniversary of uh, Tony Bolin's media-related Christmas poems, which, I mean, come on, no one on earth does Christmas poems for media, but Tony does, <laughs> and they're amazing. And this one, I think, is his best ever, and that's coming up yeah. on Friday. Don't want to miss it. It's our gift to you, our fans, for the holidays. Yep. Friday the 16th, be sure to catch it. Uh, and we will obviously leave it posted indefinitely, but you know, over the week, over the holiday weekend, be sure to be sure to listen to it. It'll make your day. It'll make you smile. All right, Media Insultant is we're out of here, and uh, we are production, Keith, of in-town media. We do interim contract management for radio stations. We produce this program basically just for the hell of it. So, And you can find the podcast on any podcast platform. The videos are on Vimeo each Tuesday and Friday. However, our next regular scheduled media insultant will be December 27th, when we will give you our misguided and you got to be kidding predictions for the next year. So... That'll be our next regular edition, and, but, you know, Tony's will be on the 16th when he does uh, as our poet laureate, a holiday poem. Keith, have a great holiday. Merry Christmas to you and your family. See you on the 27th with our next regular episode of Media Insultant. Merry Christmas, Jackson. Take care, buddy. All the best. <laughs>